if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 20. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, if I'm not mistaken, it ends in chapter 24. So we're almost done with Luke. I think it's only been 20 years uh, since we've gone through this, but it's been a blessing. In Luke chapter 20, we now come to a point in which uh, a lot of theologians call this the day of questions. It was a day when the Jewish authorities and all their different sections came to Jesus with question after question after question, designed specifically to target him, to trick him into you know, saying something by which they might condemn him. Um, you know, when we go through our study today, if I could just kind of say this from the get-go, in a nutshell, one of the things that I came away with is that it's a really heavy lesson to leaders. It really is. Because these are the religious leaders. We're going to see the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. The chief priests were the former high priest, the family of the high priest. The elders were the judges who judged, the leaders who led the older men in Jerusalem with that responsibility. The scribes were the experts in the law. Together, along with the Pharisees, they formed what was called the Sanhedrin. It was kind of like the Supreme Court of Israel. These were the leaders. And what we find is that these leaders had led the people astray. They would lead them astray. We're going to see later on that they want to kill the son and gain an inheritance for themselves. And whenever a leader is confused with why they're given that authority and why they're given that responsibility, whenever a leader is in it for themselves, they will fail. Because you know, one of the things that's really interesting is when you see here, the people were putting the pieces of the puzzle together and they were understanding that this was the Messiah. You know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were, you know, quoting the Psalms and they were kind of understanding, yeah, I think he is the one. But what ended up happening, the leaders messed him up. We're going to see the leaders were really confused. The leaders were like a lot of people today, a lot of leaders today that are in it for themselves and not for God, not for the people. A lot of leaders today, even in the church, they want money, they want power, they want position, they want authority. They have their $3,000 suits. They're asking for money. They're not in it for God. And they're not in it for the people. And we're going to see it's a real heavy lesson for us today you know, and of course, you know, I want to share this with you too. You know, the people had a responsibility. You know, the leaders didn't force them. The, everyone has to make their own decision. Don't be led astray by that type of leader. It was a real heart check for me, you know, to really examine our motives. And of course, this would be, you know, leaders in the church, also leaders in the home. You know, where are you leading your family? Are you leading them to Jesus Christ? Or are you leading them? astray. We all have a certain element of responsibility and what we find is that these guys, you know, they were against the one that they were supposed to follow, the one that they were supposed to point to and we're going to see in the end that God deals with them in a very heavy way. You know, I don't understand why these guys have $3,000 suits. I saw a sign over there, three for 129. Did you guys see that? Man, 
I'm like, hey, that would work out perfect, man. You know, why do they have to have a, a, a Rolls Royce? Why do you have to have these expensive cars? Why? You know? I mean, especially as a leader. I mean, you know what? Just get me from point A to point B and I'm cool, right? That's all we need. But what we find is that these guys, they come to that place in their life and they think that they're all it. And you know what? It should never be that way. A while back, I told Henry, take my name out of the bulletin. You know, why do they have to know my name? Why? I don't want you. It doesn't have to. You don't have to know my name. I mean, if we get to know each other, of course, you know, eventually you get past the hey, dude, you know, thing and, and hey, bro, and it's, it's okay to know, you know, our, each other's names to like that. But, you know, the name that we exalt is Jesus Christ. And I think leaders, that we, we get confused. And we need to come back to this. Look what ends up happening in verse 1. It said, it happened on one of those days as he, Jesus, taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him. And they spoke to him saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? You know, they're going to ask Jesus a whole bunch of questions. And of course we know that they're no match for his matchless wisdom. When Jesus answers those questions, at the end of the day, he's going to send them away with their tail between their legs. Because he's wise, right? He is truth. It's amazing when you watch the way everything unfolds. Now, something that's really interesting, if you would skip over to verse 17. Notice it says in verse 17, the stone which the builders rejected. Now, that Greek word for rejected, it means to reject after close examination. And what you find is something interesting, that during the Passover time, your family, maybe you gathered together with another family, you would select a lamb, and according to the book of Exodus, what you would find is that you would scrutinize the lamb and make sure that there's no blemishes in it. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, that's what the Bible teaches. And so in one sense, I guess it's okay to scrutinize, you know, this man. It's okay to... You know, to see, you know, well, is he true? Is he real? Is he the one? Uh, I think leaders have that responsibility. But the point is this, that when you do examine, you know, Christ or examine the lamb, you got to do it with an open heart. And if they would have seen Jesus and his love, if they would have heard Jesus Christ, what he said, how he is, if they would have got to know him, they would not have failed in their leadership, right? They would not have led the people astray, but they didn't do it with an open heart. And so it's okay in one sense for them to examine him, but the thing is, is they also need to examine their own heart. And to make sure that as we come and we seek it out truth, that we're doing it with an honesty and a sincerity that would help us to go forward. And so they asked Jesus this question, you know, where did you get your authority? Who do you think you are? I mean, here you are, you're cleansing the temple. We you know, studied that last week. And who are you to teach the people? Who are you to preach the gospel? We read here in verse 1 that these religious leaders asked him this. They confronted him. They asked Jesus, who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing these things? You know, of course to them, you've got to put yourself in their place. 
They saw Jesus as just a carpenter, right? No formal education, no academic degrees, no accreditation by any ecclesiastical body. You know, what are your credentials? Who gave you the authority to teach and preach to others and to cleanse the temple? And they wanted to know. And in one sense, I guess it's okay. You know, Jesus didn't go to their schools. And he didn't hang with those fools, right? Like, hey, where'd you come from, man? It's popped up, right? And just as a quick side note, Jesus shows us here that you don't need those type of things, right? Just as a quick side note, Jesus shows us that you don't need the authority of man to do the work of God. We simply need the authority of God and his word. It's so cool when you see some of these guys, and especially for us here at Calvary Chapel, I think we're more like, this is like, okay, I understand this, right? You know, because um, we see God use simple men, men who don't even know how to read in the beginning. Man, you're like, how could God use them? And here's a very simple message, and you see what the Lord does. And let me ask you a question. Who gets the glory? God does, right? Because you know it's the Lord. Now, I'm not saying a guy can't speak well. We should all know by now that it's God, that without him we can do nothing, right? But the point is, is that we see God is the one who ordains. God is the one, right? It's not a degree. William McDonald said this passage shows that the great essential in teaching God's word is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One who has that endowment can triumph over those whose power is wrapped up in degrees, human titles, and honors. Where'd you get your diploma? Who ordains you? The old questions possibly begotten of jealousy are still being asked. The successful gospel preacher who has not trodden the theological halls of some distinguished university or elsewhere is often challenged on the points of his fitness and the validity of his ordination. But what we see, and we also saw it with the apostles, remember when they were doing great works? They said, oh, okay, we figured it out. They have been with Jesus. And so God uses knuckleheads, right? Any of you here are knucklehead? Some of you here are big knuckleheads, right? But all you can say is, here am I, Lord. Take this donkey, take this knucklehead, empty me of myself, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your love. For the lost, Lord, give me your love and your passion like your son, Lord. And you watch what God will do. You will be challenged. The Jews challenged Jesus' authority. And Israel, unfortunately, had a history of not recognizing God's authority. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is doing his speech and he points to the man Moses. He, you know, points to him at a certain juncture in Moses' life in one sense, Moses may have been ready, otherwise Stephen would have brought it up, right? And, and, and so the Lord chose Moses. But what did the Jews say? They said to Moses, when things began to happen, who made you ruler or judge over us? Exodus chapter 2, verse 16. And so we find that they had to wait another 40 years. And of course, God was doing a work in Moses. But to me, when you read the history of the Jews, you find that there was a problem with authority. And a lot of times, that's our problem. We got a problem with authority. And until we deal with that problem, we will never be given the authority that God wants us to have. These guys didn't know anything about authority. They didn't know the authority, right? And so Jesus responds in verse 3. He answered and he said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? 
Now, I don't think Jesus was kind of like, you know, we are sometimes. I'm not going to tell you unless you tell me. You know, I don't think he was doing that type of thing. There's a, definitely a lot more to it. They asked Jesus, where would you get your authority? Who gave you the power to cleanse the temple and teach and preach the way that you're doing? And, and, and Jesus just says, well, let me ask you a question, and then I'll tell you when you put it all together. What he says is the baptism of John. Where was it from? Heaven or from men? You see, what had happened in the Jewish history was John the Baptist came onto the scene. After 400 years of silence, powerful words came from God. There was a voice crying in the wilderness, repent, make your paths straight, right? But when, you know, John the Baptist got arrested, the religious leaders were probably pretty happy about that. When John the Baptist got killed and beheaded, the religious leaders had no problem with that. And they thought it was all said and done. I'm going to shake my, you know, wash my hands and sweep this under the carpet. I don't have to think about John ever again. But Jesus said, hold on, time out. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You can't sweep my prophet under the carpet the way you've been doing this. You need to deal with the truth that's already been revealed to you. You want more? Then stop ignoring what I've already told you. You've got to deal with it. And we have to deal, I think, with... The past. You know, and I'm not talking about the sins that are already forgiven, you guys. I'm not talking about, you know, the enemy condemning you of your past. And I'm not talking about things that are already settled and you've already taken care of those things. But I think a lot of times what ends up happening is the reason we're not really going forward is because we're stuck. We're stuck on something that we refuse to face. You want the truth? Take all the truth. If you want all of God, then surrender all of your sins. And we can get stuck. And, and the only reason I say that, not to be mean to you guys, you know, I'm sorry, man. But it's like, because I know that's what God wants in our life. You know, we have questions. But if we would only answer this question, we would get the answer to our questions. Well, the authority of John, it came from heaven. John said, I'm the Messiah. There's the answer to your question. I come to you from God. But a lot of times we get stuck. You know, it's like we're on this treadmill and we're not going anywhere. Right? But I'm walking. You know, the other day I was bragging to my daughter. I said, sweetheart, I'm going seven miles an hour. How about you? You know? (laughs) I didn't tell her that I only did it for three seconds. But... (laughs) Man, we get stuck. Uh, the other day, Henry's truck was stuck, and you know, it just took a couple of us—a real simple thing. You know, all he had to do was admit, "I'm stuck. I need help." Just a couple of us, real buff guys, just pushed it real quick, and <laughs> and you know, he's not stuck anymore. You know, you remember how it was when you were in high school? You couldn't take this class until you first take that class, and you couldn't take that class until you pass that class. And that's kind of the way it is. That's the way it is for us. In life, that's the way it is with us, with God. You know, you're not going to become a a saved. You're not going to get saved until first you admit you're a sinner. You have to realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior before you're ever going to get saved, right? Certain things have to happen first. If I want to be used by the Lord in the ministry, then I've got to take care of my family. Certain things have to take place first. 
Before the crown, there's always a cross. Before life, there's always death. Certain things have to take place first. Before honor, there must be humility. And when you read the scriptures, you find, you know, the way it works. And God says, listen, you know, you want to find out where I got my authority? You know, you want more? Then do not ignore what I've already shown you. And so I'll tell you what, let's go back to John the Baptist, the one that you've been running away from. The one who spoke with power. The one, you know, thousands went. Their life was changed. They got baptized in the Jordan. The one who pointed to me, let's deal with that first. And, you know, when I was going through the study, you know, for me, and I just pray that you guys would have the same heart, you know, we just search our heart. You know, Lord, am I stuck? And if so, Why? And then he just begins to reveal things to you that need to be, you know, answered. Things that need to be taken care of. The Lord says you go to the altar and you want to worship the Lord, but then you remember you've got a problem with your brother over here. You know what? I'm not going to listen to you yet. Leave your gift there. Go back and do the best that you can to make things right first. That's why we're stuck. You see, and so the Lord is telling them, these are things that you have to deal with. I know you think you killed John. I know you think it's over, but it's not over. It's still right there staring you in the face. William Barclay said, To face the truth may confront a man with a sore and difficult situation, but to refuse to face it confronts him with a tangle out of which there is no escape. It's sad and it's bad when a person comes to that place in their life when they're not honest and open with others and they can't even be honest with themselves. Because look what ends up happening. They say, hey, where'd you get your authority? Jesus says, okay, well, tell me about John. And so we read in verse 5, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. And so they answered that they did not know where it was from. And so Jesus said to them, okay, cool. Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, it began with the inquiries, the inquiries, authority, honesty, priorities, right? Inquiries. You know, they were searching Jesus. They were examining Jesus, but Jesus was examining them. What kind of leader are you? What kind of man are you? What kind of person are you? Search your heart. Let's go back to this huge issue of John the Baptist. And let me, let me just ask you something. The Lord says this. Just be honest. But they weren't. They wouldn't be honest. What were they thinking? <gasps> if we say this, then Jesus will ask us that. And if we say this, then the people will do that. And rather than just saying, let's take a look at John, you know. But a lot of times that's the way we live our life. That's the way we make our decisions. <gasps> if I do this, and what will she say? What will he say? What will they do? And God says that's not how Christians live their life. Christians live their life in the truth. Christians live their life in honesty, man. And I pray that we would be free enough to live that type of life. You know, I love the way that 
you know, you look at John and you see the ministry that he had and the boldness that he had and how God used him in such a great way. But, you know, the people had a choice to face and embrace who he was. Unfortunately, they were not honest. And therefore, Jesus refused to answer their question. Why should he give them more truth to believe if they only ignored the truth that they had already received? And so God help us to search our hearts. And if there's anything that hasn't really been dealt with, you guys, if you want to go forward and if you want to hear the Lord speak to you, then I pray that we would deal with those things, you know? Go home, please. Go home. Get on your knees. I beg of you, please. Go home. Get on your knees and ask God, is there anything in my life that needs to be dealt with that I've swept under the carpet? And God, if there is, please help me to face all these things. You know, as leaders especially, Because what we see is these inquiries then led to some pretty interesting prophecies that man are heavy duty. The people feared, the the religious leaders, they feared the people, huh? Notice right here, it says right here in verse 6, but if we say from men, all the people will stone us. They feared the people, huh? If you look over at verse 19, it says, And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared who? The people, huh? But who should they have really feared? God, huh? Because watch what happens in verse 9. It says, Then he began to tell the people this parable. And he said, A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, well, what shall I do? Oh, I know I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. The Lord gives a parable. A parable is kind of like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It'd be things that they were really familiar with so that they could understand the spiritual truth. In in those days, this would be very common for a landowner to lease out uh, land to farmers, to tenant farmers. Sometimes they'd pay money, you know, give me my money. But most of the time they would give them a portion of their, of their uh, crop, which is apparently what the Lord had worked out with the Jews, which just as a quick side note is something that we really need to understand. Okay, listen to me if you would. Uh, God is looking for fruit in our life, okay? You know, Israel was the vine. You read Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It's really clear that Israel was the vine. 
When you read Matthew chapter 21, what you find is that God had planted the vine. God had put a hedge all around it. God had dug a wine press, you know, for them. God had even built a tower for them. What I'm trying to say is that God did everything necessary for them to produce the fruit. You know, for us, you know, we need to understand that God has done the same thing. You know, what is God looking for in your life? Why, I think God's wanting me to have some white teeth, man, you know, so I'm going to go get some strips, you know, or, you know, I think God wants me, and whatever it is, you can go on and all the things that you're just obsessed with, and, you know, that's cool, you know, thank God for his grace, and he knows how we're all unique, you know, but when the end of the day comes, and you're standing before God, and when he's scrutinizing your life, we need to know that the one thing God is looking for is fruit, moral fruit and ministry fruit. Character. He wants to make you like his son. He does. You read the book of Galatians chapter 5 and it talks about fruit. You know, and so when God looks at you and you get, you know, whatever it is, you get all upset with your with your wife, you get upset with your husband, your kids, you know, you don't show love or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control or, you know, any of the fruit of the spirit, you know, that's not what God wants. Not only is it moral fruit, it's also ministry fruit. Everybody here has a place in the body. Everybody here. Everybody here, if you're a Christian, you have been given gifts and responsibilities that God is expecting you to be faithful in so that you can bring forth fruit for his glory. Everyone here. And if we're not doing that, then, you know, it's kind of like, The Lord here, he sends a servant to get some fruit, and there's none there. Imagine if you would, just out of curiosity, how many of you here, have you ever planted fruit trees in your backyard? Fruit trees in your backyard, maybe tomatoes, huh? Because, you know, I want to tell you something. Here's a secret, okay? God made tomatoes to ripen on the vine. He did, man. You know, bananas, all that stuff, it's supposed to ripen on the vine, not, you know, picked green and then, you know, put into some, you know, hydro-cooled box. No, man. You know, and so it's cool. You know, you, you plant those uh, orange trees or maybe you like plums or maybe it's apricots or apricots. I don't know how you pronounce it. And all I know is that, you know, you plant a tree and you expect there to be fruit from it, right? I mean, you maybe even paid some pretty good money for it or whatever it is. And imagine you go out there and there's no fruit. And you're like, wait a minute, okay? And then you get some more miracle grow, and you start, you know, watering it and, you know, talking to it. They say if you talk to plants that they kind of do better or whatever it is, you know. And, you know, then another year goes by, and then another year goes by. You know, those tomatoes you planted, man, there's no tomatoes. And you're like, wow, it's a bunch of leaves. What would you do as an owner? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what the owner would do with such fruit. He'd pull it out and he'd throw it away. Now, I'm not saying that God is ruthless with us. I'm not saying that God is mean like that. I'm not saying that God is impatient with us. But I'm telling you what, that this is what God desires. You know, and we need to know that. Moral fruit, ministry fruit. Wow, but I don't have love. Well, the only reason you don't have love is because you are not you know, being led by the Holy Spirit. He'll give you his love. 
He'll give you. It's a fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. Stop grieving him. Stop quenching him. And watch what God will do with your life when you surrender to him. Start trusting him. Maybe a large part of our problem, I think, believe it or not, is that you know, we don't trust the Lord, you know, to say, you know what, I surrender my life. I tell you what, God, I, I think I've come to that place in my life where I believe you have a better plan for my life than I do. And so I'm going to trust you, Lord, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't feel it, I'm going to trust you. You know, the other day we went to Knott's Berry Farm with with uh, uh, Henry and Liz, and they brought their little boy Isaac. And it was cool, you know. And we went on this one ride. It's called the Log Ride. Have you guys ever been on that? You're like, yeah, I'd like to be on it right now, huh? And anyways, uh, it's a trip because that log ride, it allows you to take your little kids, your really tiny little kids, right? And so they took Isaac on there. And as we're going through the log ride, uh, we come to this port part in the ride where it's just pitch black. It's totally pitch black. And I was thinking, poor Isaac, man. I can't believe that Henry would do this to his son, you know, <laughs> that he brought him on this ride. And, 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 you know, I was thinking that on the beginning, but then, you know what, I just caught myself right away and I said, but I'll bet you, that Isaac is not afraid because I know that Isaac is in his father's arms. And we need to know that, you guys. I know you don't feel it sometimes. But, you know, you go through these times in life and you're not sure. You don't feel it. It's dark. You don't know what's ahead. But you can trust him. You don't have to go your way. Just stay in his arms. He'll, he'll take care of you. All I'm saying is that when we refuse to do that, then we won't bear fruit, moral or ministry. And then we kind of got to go back to Luke chapter 3 when John the Baptist was the one speaking to the religious leaders, speaking to the people, and he says, you know what, this axe is ready to chop that tree down. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, that I have Abraham as my father. God says, no, you've got to start living the life. Even later uh, in Luke chapter 13, if you go back, look at this one in verse 6. It says, and also he spoke this parable that a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came, notice, seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And so he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and he said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. See, God's looking for fruit. And I believe if you're here today and you understand what I'm saying, It's not, you know, a man. It's God. And he's just saying, you know what? There's still hope. I'm gonna I'm gonna work with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna tenderly, gently, lovingly just begin to work around your life. Tell you what, what do you say, man? Let's work together. 
and then God's going to look for fruit. But if not, what we find back in Luke chapter 20 is the Lord says, well, this is kind of what's been happening. This is what's happening now, and this is what's going to happen in the future. That Israel had no fruit. That Israel would not listen to God's messengers. They beat them, sent them away empty-handed. Beat the second one, treated him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed. And the third one, it says right there that they took him and they wounded him and they cast him out. You know, Israel was not listening to the prophets of God. And we see that within their history over and over again. Nehemiah 9.26 where it says, Nevertheless, they were disobedient. They rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, killed your prophets who testified against them. It got so bad, Israel would not listen to God's message over time. It got so bad that in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 52, Stephen said, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? When God is speaking, and a lot of times we won't listen. That's what had happened, and this is what was happening right here, right now, at this juncture, at this moment in time, God's Son was sent to them. Think about that. Okay, well, they've done this to the prophets. Well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just kind of I give, give them the benefit of the doubt because, you know, they're just prophets. Isaiah, they sawed him in half. And Jeremiah, they put in the pit. And they did all these things to all these different prophets. But I'm sure that when my son comes, I'm sure that they'll reverence him. They'll be nice to him, right? And I pray that you would know that it's not, you know, the prophet with the small p. It's, it's the prophet with the big p. It's the, the God who made you is the God who loves you. It's the God who, you know, died for you. He's the one speaking to you right now, right? But unfortunately, they would not Listen, and so when is it happening? We read again in verse 14 that when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. And, and just real quick, that's the problem when we're in it for ourselves. We just can't, you guys. God help us to not be in this for ourselves. When you begin to live for God and you begin to live for others before yourself, Jesus, others, and then yourself, then there's joy, right? But they were in it for themselves. Oh, let's kill him. And so they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Well, he's going to come and destroy those vine dressers. And what he's going to do is give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, no way, certainly not. And they looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. What had happened while they didn't bear fruit, they were not listening to God's prophets. What had happened? Well, the father sent the son. What was happening? They were rejecting him. What would happen? They would kill him. And then, and therefore, God would judge them. 
If you're here today and you just continue to harden your heart, you continue to reject Jesus Christ, if there's anyone here today and you're saying, you know what, I don't want it, I don't need it, I don't, uh, that's not for me, then the Bible says what we find right here is that God, God will judge. You know, For the nation of Israel, what we find is that, it, it, that God would take it from Israel and God would give this to the Gentiles, right? And what we find is that, you know, for them, they would lose that freedom and that responsibility and even that privilege of being able to proclaim the salvation message to the world. You know, what we find in the end is they continue to reject him. It's kind of interesting. He, he gives us a, a couple of things because they're like, no, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the Lord says, well, there's scriptural support <laughs> just to let you know. Remember right here in verse 17, the stone which the builders rejected the builders rejected, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. God says, you know what? It was all in the word. It was all in the word. And there's that, you know, that story. We don't know for sure if it's true, but when they're building the temple, there came down one stone. They said, you know what? This is not a place. We don't need it. They sent it away. Later on, they found out what? It was the chief cornerstone. And what had happened is they had rejected that stone. And so what does the Lord say? He says this is the way it works. In conclusion, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And that doesn't sound good, you guys. Huh? I remember, I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. We went camping. And uh, I remember by the lake, there was this one huge rock. It was massive rock. And I remember one day Shai and I were just kicking around top of the rock and we're looking across the lake. And I was just looking at this rock and I thought, man, this kind of reminds me like of, of Jesus Christ, you know, the, 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 the solid rock that shall not be moved upon which we can stand, you know. And it's cool. And I was thinking it's so cool to be on this side of the rock <laughs> and on the other side, huh? Because the way that it works is that, you know, I mean... Of course, you know, I'm not talking about easy believism. I'm not talking about, you know, a person who goes to church and they live one way on Sunday for an hour and a half and they go and they live like hell the rest of the week. Because he says, whoever falls on this rock will be broken. Broken of our own will. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, here's the deal. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. My son was asking me, well, isn't being broken bad, Dad? No, it's not. Because we're talking about a broken that's like a, a wild stallion. I think I shared with you guys before, you know. It's this wild stallion out in the, you know, whatever, you know, the, the plane's doing its own thing. And then, you know, they capture the stallion and they begin to train it. They break it of its own will. It must be broken. It must be broken. And that's the way it is for us. That's what God wants, a broken and contrite heart. Because if not, then you end up on the wrong side of the rock and you find yourself judged. Unfortunately, these chief priests, they were not open. They would not heed the warnings. And it says the scribes that very hour, in verse 19, they sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. I pray you guys would come to the rock 
that we would live for the Lord Jesus Christ as leaders, as followers. We would really understand the simple message that it's not about me, that it's for God, it's for his people, that I, I got to bear fruit, moral fruit, ministry fruit. I've been given a responsibility that, you know, um, as I come to the Lord, that, you know, it, it comes back to the one who was sent to us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on him. And I remember in the Old Testament, you guys remember when the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt and they were thirsty. They were thirsty. I don't know if you've ever been thirsty. Probably not really thirsty. I mean, we go like, you know, three hours without water and we're like, no, man, imagine going like, you know, a day or two days without water. You know, you'd be really thirsty, huh? And so the people were complaining, Moses, what is up with you, dude? Why'd you bring us here, you know? And there's no water here. And so Moses like, what should I do? Uh, so all you got to do is just smite the rock. Hit the rock, and then water's going to come. Your thirst will be quenched, right? And so that's a symbol of the cross. Jesus Christ was smitten for us, that rock, and he, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. He satisfies us in a dry and thirsty land. But even as Christians, we continue to go on, and sometimes we're, we go through, now we're in a time in our life where, man, I don't feel like there's any water. I'm thirsty. I'm in this dry land. And the children of Israel were there once again. What ended up happening? What we find is the Lord said, okay, Moses, all you got to do is speak to the rock. You want Jesus today? Are you thirsty for God, the supernatural, the power of the Son of God in your life? Then all you got to do is pray. You know, you don't have to go home and dot all your I's and cross all your T's. Right here, right now. All you got to do is pray. Now we know Moses messed up, right? He started beating up the rock. And God says, no, that's not the way it works. My son, he died. That's enough. You don't have to kill him again. All you got to do is pray. And if you're here today, and I know I'm here today, and I'm thirsty, I don't want religion. I don't want to be a leader who's in it for himself. I want to bear fruit. I want to do this for Jesus. And I thank God that he's made a way. All we got to do is pray. He'll change any life. He'll change any life. I don't care where you are. Some of you probably know about this guy, Charles Colson. Chuck Colson, he passed away yesterday. And, um, you know, he, he was the guy, they, they called him Richard Nixon's hatchet man. This guy was bad. He was crazy. But he got saved. He was so bad. He was so bad, so deceitful, so wicked that when he got saved, everybody in Washington said, it's just a fake. It'll never last. 35 years later, he's still he was still walking with the Lord, serving the Lord faithfully. They even offered him money to do things in politics. But no, the Lord used Charles Colson to minister to the men and the families of those who were in prison. And he found his place. And he bore fruit for the glory of God. Now he's in his presence. 
And he's so happy that God didn't work. You guys, I'm telling you, man, you may opt out, you may cop out, but you can't get out of the fact that one day you'll stand before God. And I just pray that when we do, that we will be blessed. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, to study your word. And I know there's a lot here, Father, and uh, I wish I would have done it justice, but I thank you for who you are. Lord, uh, I pray that we would just, whatever it is that you've spoken to our hearts, Lord, minister to us and just meet us where we are. For those who are Christians and saved, Lord, I pray that you would work in in their life and help them to receive your love, to believe your love, to know that even though it's dark, that they are in your arms. Help them to trust you. Lord, I pray your goodness would abound. And Lord, that you would do a work, Lord, in everyone. Lord, help us to go forward, Lord. And if we want more, to make sure we don't ignore the things that you're showing us. And so reveal those things to us, Lord. And Father, of course, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today, anyone who does not know you as Lord and Savior, God, that today they would fall on the rock that today, Lord, they would humble themselves and they would know, Lord, how good you are. You died on that cross and that today would be the day of salvation. They would receive you as Lord and Savior. Again, we thank you for being our God, for your promise. Lord, we pray you'd be with us now as we sing this last song, as we go and serve you in the highways and byways and valleys and alleys. Help us to be more aware of your presence than we've ever been in our life. I love you, Lord. I lift up your beautiful congregation, Lord, and all the different things that they're going through, Lord. Lord, empower us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and we're going to close with a